Well, one of the fun things about living in an area like Las Cruces is that we actually have a lot of hiking trails and hiking paths uh, close by. I don't know how many you have personally been on, but we've got trails for hiking, for walking, for running all along the Rio Grande. We've got hiking paths for uh, Picacho Peak, for Dripping Springs, for Slot Canyon, for Soledad Canyon, and the La Cueva Trail, and many more that aren't as well known, but are equally amazing and wonderful to go on and to explore. Now, let me ask you a few questions about those paths. For those of you who have been out hiking and walking, walking and checking out these paths. And even if you haven't, you might know the answer to this just by how, how the question is asked. If you start walking on the Dripping Springs Trail and you don't get off of that trail and you go to the place that that trail leads you, where do you end up? Ding, ding, ding. The answer is Dripping Springs or the infirmary so you can catch tuberculosis. That's a great thing. Let me ask you another one. Just to see, just to see how bright you are, if you get on the path that leads to Slot Canyon and you don't get off of that path and you walk until you reach the place that that path leads, where would you end up? Again, the answer is pretty obvious. You'd end up at Slot Canyon, exactly. Let me ask you another question about another path that we have going through our city. If you got on I-10 heading west from Las Cruces and stay on it until it ends, where will you always and eventually end up? California, exactly. If you get on I-10 heading east from Las Cruces and you stay on that path until it ends, where will you end up? Some of you, you don't know the answer to that one. You're like, uh, I'm at Texas, everything ends in Texas. No, it goes all the way to Jacksonville, Florida. Let me ask you this question one more way. If you have a plan to go to Mexico, but you get on I-25 from Las Cruces heading north, will you ever get to Mexico? Obviously, the answer is no. But what have you planned and really hoped and dreamed on getting to Mexico and hoped and dreamed on getting there by going to I-25 North? Still no? Still no. Now, here's the thing. All of that seems obvious in the world of walking, biking, hiking, driving, and some of it seems ridiculous to even ask the question, but that helps us understand the very important truth that we're going to unpack unpack for the next few weeks. And that simple truth is this, that your path will determine your place. Your path will determine your place. To expound on that just a little bit, the path that you choose will always determine the place that you arrive. The path that you choose in life, the path that we choose as we, as we walk, as we run, as we bike, as we, as we hike, and as we go throughout life, the path that you choose will always determine the place that you arrive. That's true on a hiking trail, that's true on an interstate, that the path that you choose will always determine the place you eventually end up. And while it's true geographically, it's just as true when it comes to every other area of our lives. This is true financially, this is true in marriage, this is true when you're dating, this is true professionally, this is true educationally, this is true if you're a parent or a grandparent, this is true for your health, this is true for quite literally every area of your life. And to push it just a little bit further, the reason I asked that question about I-25 in Mexico, which is ridiculous, especially if you live in Las Cruces and you're like, I, that's what a ridiculous question. The reason I wanted to say that is to just push this a little bit further. Your path, not your plan, will determine your place. In other words, your path 
trumps your plan. Your path trumps your hopes. Your path trumps your intentions. Your path trumps your dreams. Your path, not your plan, will determine your place. That the path you walk on matters more than where you plan and where you hope and dream and intend to eventually arrive in life. That if you have a place that you plan to arrive, but then you choose to walk a path that doesn't lead there, you will not arrive at the place that you planned because of your path. But if you have a place that you plan to arrive, you better choose a path that leads there. Your path, not your plan, will determine the place that you arrive. Your path, more than anything else in your life, will determine your place. Your path, the path that you choose in marriage, the path that you choose in finances, the path that you choose in your career, the path that you choose in your education, the path that you choose with your time, the path that you choose with your family, the paths that you choose throughout your life, the path, oh, by the way, of your relationship with God and your connection with God will always determine the place that you arrive in life. Now, here's what's amazing about that. I didn't just say anything that you didn't already know. Everything that I said, you're like, yeah, I mean, I know that. I get that. Every, every, everyone knows that, right? Unfortunately, for many of us in life, there's all too often a disconnect between where we want to end up and the path that we choose or the path that we have chosen. Or there's a difficulty for us in realizing that we are actually on a path currently, that the things we choose today are leading us toward a place that we will arrive in the future, or that the things that we chose in the past have led us to or are leading us to the things that we are experiencing today and will experience tomorrow. But because this is such an important principle, we're going to spend a few weeks discussing the potential good that can come in our lives if we embrace this for good and the potential danger if we ignore or abandon this principle. And I think there's no greater introduction to this principle than something that Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 7, this is an unbelievable uh, passage of scripture. The way that this is written is written as if it's a parable that's not so much a parable. It's written as if this is something that actually happened. And as we're about to read, what we see is that this is written from the perspective of the king, the perspective of Solomon, as if he actually looked out from the palace and saw the people and the places at the heart of this story. In Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6, it says this, At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Now, that sounds judgmental from Solomon, but two things I would point out. First, Solomon is the wisest person that ever lived. At least that's what the Bible records. If there was ever anyone who was able to correctly see and to correctly judge someone as not having sense, it would be Solomon. Like if you're the wisest person who ever lived, you can look at someone and go, oh, that person doesn't have any sense, doesn't have any wisdom, doesn't have any judgment. I actually have judgment and I can judge that this person doesn't have any good judgment. Here's the second part of this. It almost sounds worse and more judgmental to say this, but Solomon judges that this young man has no sense at the beginning of the story. Before seeing what happens, before seeing the path that he would arrive on, before seeing where he would go and who he would meet and what would happen in his life, he, he, he judges that this person has no sense before he sees him do anything. And my guess is Solomon understood something that we don't really like to acknowledge, but is absolutely true. All youth, in some sense, lack sense or judgment. All youth, 
in some sense, lack sense or judgment, not because they're dumb, but because they lack experience. This isn't judgment. This is the acknowledgement of a reality of life that the younger you are, the less you have experience. Therefore, the less sense and judgment you naturally have. This is the acknowledgement of a reality. Unfortunately, this is, this is something, again, we don't like to admit, but this is one of those things that is, is absolutely true. Reality is something that you either acknowledge and submit to, or reality will break you. You don't break reality. If you refuse reality, reality, reality eventually breaks you. In this context, the reality is that the younger we are, the more likely we are to lack sense, to lack wisdom, to lack good judgment, to lack common sense, and to understand the connection of life, to understand the necessity of choosing our paths well, or even the sense to acknowledge that we actually are choosing paths with our actions. In verse eight, it says this, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along the, in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Now, are you starting to notice there's a path here? Solomon says, this guy, I noticed this guy who had no sense. And here's what he was up to. He was choosing a path. The path is he's near her corner in the direction of her house, in the direction of her house. He's on, the in, he's on a path near her corner in the direction of her house. And then crazy enough, a her comes out of nowhere. Can you believe it? The path that was near her corner in the direction of her house, all of a sudden at the end of it has a her. Can you believe that the path led to a place? The path in this context led to a person. The path led to a person. This young man has found at the end of his path exactly what would come at the path leading to her. He has found the person at the end of the path. He has found the place at the end of the path. What he doesn't know is he thinks this is the end of the path. This is just the beginning of the path. Anyone want to guess where this is leading? Anyone want to guess where this is leading with a young man who makes no sense and a her who's dressed like a prostitute described as having crafty intent? Anyone want to guess where this is leading? Matter of fact, if you think you can't predict what's going to happen here. You need this message more than you think. Like if you can't, like I, I have no idea where, like where, like where would this go? I have no idea. If you, if, if you're like, I mean, anything's possible. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's set in stone what's about to happen here. Like, I mean, like these are just isolated events. He just happened to run into a person. If you think this is an isolated event, you need to pay attention to what we're talking about today and for the next few weeks. Here's what, here's what goes on in verse 11. She is unruly and defiant, describing the woman. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Let me read that one more time. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Her sounds like trouble, doesn't she? I mean, I, like, again, we don't want to judge people, but Solomon is judging for us. We're just evaluating Solomon's judgment. Her sounds like trouble. Her sounds like trouble. It's important to note that her is described in ways that are a path unto themselves. 
unruly and defiant. She is unruly and defiant, meaning she's like her, her whole personality is no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what's appropriate. Nobody is going to tell me what's right and wrong. No one's going to tell, like I can decide for myself. I won't be mastered by anyone. I won't be taught by anyone. I'm not going to learn from anyone. I'm unruly and defiant. No one's going to tell me what I can and can't do. Her feet never stay at home, which means she is unreliable. You can't count on her to be somewhere. She's unreliable. Her feet never stay at home. And now in the street, now in the square, meaning she, not only is she unreliable, she is inconsistent. Somewhat times she's here, sometimes she's there. It's not as if she's just not at home, but she's always at work. Sometimes in the, she's in the street corner. Sometimes she's in the square. Sometimes she's across. Like She's all over the place. She's inconsistent. So here's what we know about, about this woman, about this her from Solomon. She doesn't have a name. The guy doesn't have a name either. We just have a guy who lacks sense, and we have a her who's unruly and defiant, who's inconsistent, and who is unreliable. And the characteristics that define her, this is important for us to understand, the characteristics that define her will define the next stretch of his life. And this is important for you to understand. The characteristics that define your friends will define the next stretch of your life. The characteristics of the people that we connect ourselves with are a path that leads to a place. They are a path that leads to a place. They are a path that leads to the things that we will experience. If we attach ourselves to people who are unruly and defiant, do you want to know where that leads us? It leads us to a place where we end up being people who are unruly and defiant, or our lives are affected by being around people who are unruly and defiant, people who, will, who refuse to learn from anyone or anything. It leads us to people, it leads us to places where we either we are or we are affected by someone else's inconsistency consistencies where we are or where we are ourselves or we are affected by someone else's unfaithfulness where we're uh, where we are uh, affected by someone else's unreliability that if we experience if we choose what this man chose the people that we surround ourselves the characteristics that define your friends will define the next stretch of your life relationships are a path relationships are a path that always leads somewhere either good or or not so good. This guy, by connecting to someone who is unruly and defiant and unreliable and inconsistent, he is setting himself up to experience the fruit of her personality, of her characteristics. And some of us, we just need to be reminded that we are going to reap the fruit and reap the consequences, good or bad, of the characteristics of the people that we surround ourselves with as well, because relationships are a path. People become a pathway. People become a pathway to either really good, healthy things or to not so good, not so healthy things in our lives. Now, in verse 13, he went on. She took a hold of him and kissed him with a, and with a brazen face. She said, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Oh, she kissed him and now she's talking at home. In other words, here's what she is saying. I have emptied my sin bucket. I went to the temple. I went to the synagogue. I went to the place where I poured out my sins before God. I, I, not my sins, I poured out my guilt before God. And I am ready to go fill up my sin bucket again. See, here's the thing. And I, again, this is, you're like, you're reading a lot into this. I am not reading a lot. This is exactly what this means. She is playing a religious game. She is playing, her is playing a religious game. If you connect yourself to people who play religious games, you are playing a dangerous game with your life and with your faith. She's playing the game of, look, I went on a Sunday to church. 
Monday through Saturday, that's my time to do what I want, leave God at the door, and then Sunday, I can go and I can confess everything I feel guilty about that I did Monday through Saturday. Church became a game, religion became a game, and I'm just telling you, if you can connect yourself to people who play religious games or to people who are playing a religious game, you are playing a dangerous game with your life and with your faith. And she says this, so I came out to meet you. I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. Notice that the, the, the personalness of this, that like the, the uniqueness of this. I, I came out to meet you. I went to, I went to church. I went to synagogue. I went to mass. I went to confession. So now I'm ready for you. I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. Now, now here's the thing. We could go like, mm, is she looking for him or is she looking for just anything? Because he just happened to be the one wandering across her path. She's like, no, I, I came out looking for you. I found you and I'm here for you. And see, he's, he's going like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I came thinking I might see her I'm, or I might meet a her, but she came looking for me. Wow. See, here's the thing that we need to understand. Temptation, it feels unique and personal. This feels like, oh my gosh, she came looking for me. Like she came looking for me. Wow, this is such a unique experience to me. This has never happened to anyone before. What a unique experience this is gonna be between me and her. Here's the unfortunate truth. While it feels unique and personal, temptation is common and predictable. Temptation is common and predictable. She didn't come looking for him. She came looking for anybody who was going to cross the path. He just happened to be the one crossing the path. This is common. This is something that as we're about to see, as we're about to learn, like as, as Solomon describes her, this is something that happened a lot. This is something that happened frequently. This wasn't a unique thing for her. This is something that she did frequently, that she did commonly. This is something that has a predictable nature. Oh my gosh, what a unique experience. I can't believe we ended up here and everyone's gone. Like, this is predictable. The moment you started walking across her path and around her house, of course her is going to come out. And of course her, who's just commonly going out with everyone, who's looking for everyone, looking for a good time with everyone, of course she just found you who was looking for a her. Of course you're looking for her. Temptation is common and predictable. And here's the thing. Sometimes we end up in places where we're feeling tempted. We're like, oh my gosh, this is such a unique experience for me. What a unique opportunity for me. I can't believe I have this opportunity. Like, this is not an opportunity. This is not an experience you should have. This is not an experience that you actually want. It's an experience. It's not something that you should want. But here's the thing. This is predictable. It's common. There's a lot of people who have been down the road that you're on who thought they were unique and thought they were exceptional and thought that they were going to be the exception to the rules and thought they were going to break reality. But reality broke them instead. Temptation is common and predictable. So the moment that you start going like, oh my gosh, like no one else has ever felt this before. No one else has ever dealt with this before. Look, temptation is common. It's predictable. It's predictable that you will be tempted if you choose the wrong path. It is common that you'll be, and predictable that you'll be tempted regardless, but especially when you choose the wrong path, it's common and it's predictable for you to experience temptation. Now he goes on. She would say, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And if you're the dude in this story, you're like, this is amazing. Wow, this is an event I'll tell everyone about. I can't believe this is happening to me. And then she said, my husband is not at home. Like record scratch, what? 
he has gone on a long journey. He's like, I'm assuming that, like, you've got, I mean, it's so like, you've got a husband the way that you're talking? Like, you've got, you're nasty. Like, come on. Like, like, you, like you've got a husband. Like, I can't, like, oh, the way you're talking to this guy, I can't, like, you've got a husband. I can't believe you. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home. He took his purse. Maybe that's where the marriage problems started to fall apart. Like, he, he took his man bag. He took, like, he took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. And it says this, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox. Listen to the language here. Like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. And if you're this guy, when this is happening, you're going, dude, you are raining on my parade. This is not an ox going to a slaughter. This is a dude going for a one night stand. And Solomon's going, no, 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 no. Like that, you don't understand. I know where this leads. This isn't a one night stand. This is a path. This isn't a one night stand. This is a trail. This isn't a one night stand. This is a destination. You have reached a point of no return. I see where this leads. You're focused on the immediate. I am focused on the ultimate. You're worried about one night and I am worried about your life. And so you, you think like, wait, wait, wait. This sounds so, like Solomon sounds so extreme. The way, the way culture looks at this, this sounds so extreme to say that this is going to cost him his life. It sounds so extreme. It's just an affair. It's just an affair. And after all, he's single. You know, like it's going to cost her, but it's not really going to cost him his life, is it? But here's why I think this is so interesting to read and why I think this is such an interesting perspective. What's most interesting about this extreme take is that Solomon was the son of a king who had an affair and the woman that, that, that King David had an affair with. And the aftermath of his father David's affair very literally cost him everything short of his life and nearly cost him his life as well. Solomon knew the cost of a single night because he knew what it had cost his dad. For this young man who lacked sense, it would cost his reputation. It would cost his integrity. It would cost his individuality. It would cost him his peace. It would cost him his conscience. This would, as Solomon would say, very much so cost him his life. Your life is made up of your reputation, your integrity, your individuality, your peace, and oh yes, your conscience and your morality. Solomon says, little knowing that it would cost him his life. He followed her. He followed her along a path. He started walking the path, and then he continued on the path, and then he had a conversation along the path, and then they kissed along the path, and then they went back to her place on the path. All along the way, he followed her on the path, little knowing, little knowing. He was like an ox going to the slaughter. And verse 24, Solomon sums it up, why he told them this story. Now then, my sons, my sons, no, no, he's talking to his sons. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. See, there's our word. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway 
Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Now, this is vivid graphic imagery in the book of Proverbs. This is maybe the most vivid graphic imagery in, every, in anything that, that, that Solomon wrote. But here's why this is so graphic, and I think why this is so vivid. This is a father writing to his sons, trying to get his sons' attention so that they will not be young men who lack sense, so that they will not be people who lack sense, so that they will not be people who think that life is disconnected from each other, that the events of life actually are connected. He's trying to help his understands his sons understand that life actually is connected, that we form pathways by the individual moments of life that we choose. This is a father wanting his sons to know exactly what waits on that path. This is a father wanting his sons to know that some paths don't lead anywhere good, don't lead to experiences that anyone should have. This is a father wanting his sons to know that some paths you end up like an ox going to a slaughter. Some paths, you're like a deer snapping into a noose until you get shot with the arrows. Some paths, you're like a bird darting into a snare and it will cost you your life. Some paths are well-worn highways to the grave, predictable highways to the grave with bones of the victims lining the sides and it's not pretty scenery. Don't go there. And so here's the question that I think we should ask. The question that ultimately begs our attention in light of the idea of a path leading to a place, the paths lead to people and people sometimes lead to places. Here's the question. Did this happen all at once? Did it happen all at once? To the guy who lacked sense, it probably felt like he, like he lost everything all at once. To the youth who lacked sense, it probably did feel like it happened all at once. Like, oh my gosh, in a moment, I lost my peace and I, and I violated my conscience and I lost my integrity and I destroyed my reputation and I destroyed my reputation in my community and I can't go look this woman in the eye. I can't look her husband in the eyes. I can't look my mom in the eye. Like, like ah, everything happened all at once. To the person who understands that this youth got on a path, it is entirely predictable and it didn't happen all, all at once and it could have been avoided a thousand different steps along the way and therein lies the rub. It is so easy to see this in other people's lives. It's so difficult to see in our own. It is so easy to see when someone else is in a dating relationship that will lead to, no, to nowhere good. It's so easy to see when someone else is making a dumb financial decision. It's so easy to see when someone else is choosing an irresponsible path with their kids. It is so difficult to see in the mirror. See, we see the points connected in other people's experiences. We see our points as isolated experiences. But here's the bottom line today, and here's the thing that I hope we can kind of wrap our minds around as we begin this season, as we push forward from here. Here's the bottom line. We must refuse to live one more moment with the separation that so often exists between our, our path and the places we eventually end up. We must refuse to live one more moment with the separation that so often exists between our path and the places that we end up. We need to refuse to lie that our points don't become paths. That our like we think, well, this is just a point. 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 Wow, it's weird. If you actually pay attention, it seems like the points are becoming a path because they all lead in the same direction. Our points become paths. Just like they did for this young man, it was just a point here and a point here and a point there, but all of it led to her and her led him to a place that he didn't want to end up. Our points become paths 
that lead to places. And we need to refuse the lie that our points are isolated events because life is connected. And the points of our lives are connected and become paths and they do lead us to places. And so here's the thing, as we close today, I just wanna encourage us and challenge us. Let's not live with that lie that our points are isolated points, but but let's live understanding that our points are connected and they do form pathways and they will lead us somewhere good or they will lead us somewhere not so good. They will lead us healthy or somewhere not so healthy. They will lead us somewhere productive or somewhere not so productive. They will lead us toward God or they will lead us away from God. They will lead us towards healthy relationships or towards dysfunctional relationships. They will lead us somewhere. But here's the thing. As, as I was praying about where, where this ultimately lands today, I, I really felt led to 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 bring up some paths for us, to to bring up some paths that maybe right now you're making a choice of, or you don't realize you're making a choice of, but you actually are making a choice about right now. So here's the first one. Will you choose the path of clarity or confusion? The path of clarity or confusion? Like some of us, we, we, we think like, my life is so murky and life is murky because you have unintentionally chosen a path of confusion. Rather than choosing the path of clarity. This is what I know to be true. This is what I know to be right. And here's the thing. Anytime we choose away from what I choose to be true, what I know to be right, what I know to be good, what I know to be fulfilling, what I know to be godly, anytime we choose away from that, we choose a path of confusion. For some of us, we need to understand that we either choose clarity or we confusion. But to not choose clarity is to choose confusion. And I would just encourage you, instead of choosing anything less than clarity, always choose to walk the road of, I know what is good. I know what is pure. I know what is holy. I know what pleases God. I know what relationships I should be in. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. And I'm going to choose to walk the road and walk the path and stay on the path of clarity. We can choose the the path of fellowship or isolation. They choose the path of fellowship or isolation. To talk to some young married couples, like here's the thing. Young married couples, the natural tendency is to live in a marriage couple vacuum in your first year. Like, they're like, oh my gosh, we just love each other. We love spending time with each other. Oh my goodness, it's just so great. We get to spend all of our time together. Wow. And here's the thing that so many couples have told me after the first year. We wake up on our first anniversary and realize that we have no friends. We've spent so much time in our married couple vacuum that we, that we just spend time together and the time together is great. But we wake up a year later and realize all my friends are gone and I haven't spent the last year at all cultivating the relationships outside of my marriage. You should spend a lot of time focusing on your marriage, but you shouldn't live so isolated from the rest of the world that you don't know who you are outside of the marriage. I hope that frees someone up today. If you find yourself, especially throughout the the weirdness of COVID over the last couple of years, feeling so isolated and isolated, isolated, it's maybe time that you have to choose the path of fellowship. You may need to even go back a little bit to get off the path of isolation, to choose the path of fellowship because you were made for community. You were made for relationship. You were made to know people and to be known by people. You were known to care for people and to be cared for by people. You were known to pray for, made to pray for people and to be prayed for by people when you're struggling. You were made for fellowship, but it's a path that you actually must intentionally choose. You can, you can choose the path of integrity or hypocrisy. Integrity 
or hypocrisy, that I'm going to be a consistent person who loves God and makes choices that honor God. And with my education, I want to honor God. And with my family life, I want to honor God. And with the way I treat my kids, I want to honor God. And with the way I treat my wife, I want to God. And the way we handle our finances, I want to honor God. And the person I am at work, I want to honor God. And the way I am with the people that I go out to hang out with after work, I want to honor God. Or are we a person who, when I'm around this group of people, I'm one person, and when I'm around this group of people, I'm one person. When I'm at work, I'm very different from who I am at church. When I'm at, when I'm at church, I'm an entirely different person than who I am with my family and my kids. Like, I want to be a person of integrity. But integrity, again, you were made to be a person of integrity. It's a choice that you must choose. It's a path that you must intentionally choose. You can choose the path of purposeful or accidental purposeful or accidental. By the way, if you get this one right, chances are you're going to get all the other ones right. Because if you choose a life of purpose, choose a life of I'm going to intentionally do the right things. I'm going to intentionally pursue the right things. I'm going to intentionally pursue the right paths, purposeful or accidental. Like I didn't choose anything and I just kind of ended up with the life I have. I'm going to choose a life on purpose or I'm going to allow a life by accident. I'm going to choose a life built on the path of purpose or I'm going to live a life by accident, I will, will I build my life or will I let the circumstances of the world build my life? Here, let's talk about another one. The path of peace or the path of anxiety. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about clinical anxiety here. I'm talking about an anxiety that I think a lot of us have known at some point of our lives. I'm talking about the I can't sleep at night because of something weighing on my conscience. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it's every day, maybe it's every week, maybe it's every month, maybe it's every year. But at some point in your life, you face a decision where if you don't make the right decision, you know you're not going to be able to sleep at night. And some of you, you have had the moment where you made the wrong decision and you couldn't sleep at night because your mind was racing. Your mind wouldn't let you sleep. Your mind wouldn't let you have peace. You were anxious in your heart. You were anxious in your mind because of the decisions that you have made. And I just want to remind you in this moment, peace and anxiety are paths that we choose. And anything that costs you your peace is too high a price to pay. So here's the thing. Your path always determines your place. Your path always determines your place. The path of fellowship leads to a good place. The path of isolation, not so much. The path of integrity leads to a life of integrity where, where at the end of your life, people look and go, that's a life that I will, I, man, I wish I could have lived a life like that. Hypocrisy is a path as well. It doesn't lead to the life that you want. Purposeful is a path. Accidental is a path. Peace is a path. Anxiety is a path. Consistency is a path. Inconsistency is a path. Clarity is a path. Confusion is a path as well. And so today, could I just tell you, make the choice that you will understand that your points become your paths and your paths always lead to a place. Don't believe the lie that life is, is individual events that don't connect and lead anywhere. Life is connected. Do not be a person or a youth who lacks sense. Be a person who understands that the points become paths which lead to a place. And if you'll understand that, I just really would hope you understand this, that God will use your use that wisdom, will use that sense, will use the good judgment and use the good past that you choose to build a life that you want to live. Again, so much of what we looked at today, it sounds like this is all negative. And if you choose the wrong path, you can go on the wrong place. And it's absolutely true that that's, that, that can happen. But this also has incredible possible benefits that as you choose your path wisely, God will use your paths to build the life that he has and that he wants for you as you follow him and his plans and his paths and his purposes. Let me pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, today, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your wisdom for us. Thank you for the words of Solomon, which teach us so much about the paths and the purposes and the promises that you have and the wisdom that you want to impart to us. God, today I pray that we would not be the youth or the old person or the middle-aged person or whatever age we find ourselves. I pray that we would not be the person who lacks sense. But God, that we would be the person who can look and evaluate our lives and see that the points do become paths and the paths lead to places. God, help us to see where the points of our lives are leading us right now, where the choices that we're making that have become the points of our lives. Help us to understand where they're leading us. And God, if they're leading us somewhere that you do not have for us and that we don't want to end up, help us to have the wisdom to choose a new path, to choose to forge a new path. And God, if they're leading us to somewhere great, help us to continue following you there. We love you, God. Help us to have the wisdom as we look for the next few weeks to understand and to see what it is that you want us to see and what, to understand what you want us to understand. And God, help us to have the courage and the heart to actually put it into practice and follow through where you want us to go. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.